And I, you know, I went out, went to the grave this morning, and I found out it was empty. Come on. It was empty. Christ is alive, and that's just a reason to celebrate. If we get nothing out of the service, let at least go home and know that he conquered death, hell, and the grave, and he's alive. Amen? I want to welcome you to City Church this morning as we celebrate the Lord's resurrection. I am so thankful uh, that he died. But I'm more thankful that he didn't stay dead. That he came to life. And what that means to me. Today, I'm going to speak to you for about 30 minutes or so about the Word of God. I'm going to share the Word of God together. After that, we're going to come to the table of God and celebrate communion. Now, this is going to be powerful. To celebrate communion on the day it was instituted, that is powerful. And I believe, even as we share communion this morning, that God's going to have lives touched and changed for eternity. If you need a touch for you of your life, don't walk out of this place without having God touch your life. Now, if you're new to City Church, our communion is open. It's an open table. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you've been saved. And even if you're not a member, the table is open. It's open to you also. Now, if you do not know the Lord Jesus and you haven't asked him into your life, you need to ask him to come into your life. So that you can join in on the table. So, and we'll give you an opportunity to do that. Now, I want us to go to the Word of God this morning. Uh, in fact, uh, we're going to read out of John chapter 3. And this morning, rather than focusing on the events and the activities surrounding Christ's death and burial and resurrection, I think you could catch that on TV too. Uh, it's been all over. I want to talk about what Christ did in those three days, what it means to you and I today. Amen? And I want us to look at a story of a man in the Bible that had a very interesting conversation with Jesus. His name was Nicodemus. The title of the message this morning is going to be called New Life. Look at a person next to you and tell him, New Life. Come on, look at the other person and tell him, New Life. Amen? It's all about new life. What Jesus did on the cross, he came in and traded our life. A life that has an end to it. Death is such a final word in our lives. And he said, I'm going to come and take your death and give you new life. And the life that I give you is eternal life. And so he is giving us new life. I want to see this conversation. It, to me, it intrigues me, and I hope it would too. But the Lord speaks to us very clearly what Easter is all about. You know, I love holidays. And especially when you have kids and little kids, holidays are exciting. It could be Memorial Day, you know. I'm crying out loud. It's still going to have something exciting about it, you know. And the ones that are involved, candy and stuff like that, you know. When you have, I don't know if this is an advantage or a disadvantage. When you have many little kids. You just have more baskets, Adam, to be able to sneak into and help yourself, you know, at, at night. So, but I was like, it just multiplies. I'm thinking, man, this is good. You know, you can put one on each one and, 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 and they'll never notice, but you got yourself uh, quite a few, you know. So, but anyway, holidays are always exciting, you know. And uh, Easter, you know, this week we, we had a real bunny at our house. I don't know what it has to do with Easter, but somehow bunnies show up. And some of them taste really good too. 
Oh, well, okay, no offense to animal lovers. No, I'm talking about the chocolate bunnies. I know. <laughs> you got John chapter 3, you have it? All right, let's read the story here, uh, this conversation. So there was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. Now, a Pharisee, these guys are the ones who knew the word. When it came to religious law, these guys were good. You know, so he comes to Jesus. Uh, verse 2, after dark one evening, he came to speak to Jesus. And he calls Jesus Rabbi, which is a teacher. He said, we all know that God sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Man, what a question. What do you mean? He asked. Nicodemus, how can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Then Jesus replied again and says, I assure you, I assure you no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and of the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. Do not be surprised when I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you cannot hear the wind, but you can't, and you can't tell where it comes from and where it's going. You cannot explain how people are born of the Spirit. And then Nicodemus says, how are these things possible? Nicodemus asked. Now, this story is very well known for those who read the Bible. You hear the story. And uh, Nicodemus was a powerful man. He was a, in fact, he was a part of what they call the Sanhedrin, which was the... This mic is playing funny games with me, so bear with me. Can you hear me? Good. So um, uh, he, he was part of the Sanhedrin, which was the top-level judicial body in the Jewish uh, jury system. He was also a teacher of Israel. He was a very wealthy man, one of the top educators in the nation when he came to religious norm. Very brilliant, gifted person. In fact, his counsel was sought out by many because he, and he was a man of great understanding, great social status in his community. And uh, when he comes to Jesus, he approaches him in the evening because everywhere Jesus went, you read, people followed him. And if you are sick and you know this guy can just speak a word, no matter what happens. People were seeking him out. So he comes to Jesus. He comes at a time where he could get a private audience with Jesus. Was, when, when you read the description of this guy, I want to say he was wealthy for one, powerful, very educated, and a logical person. And he comes to Jesus thinking, based on his studies, he understands through the Old Testament scriptures that the Messiah at that point in history would have already been born and should be a, a grown-up, a grown man. And he's just wanting to figure out, could Jesus of Nazareth be the Christ? And I imagine as a normal, rational person that's educated and intellectual would probably have his notes in order, thinking of questions that he would ask that are well thought out, well framed, and wanting to figure out Jesus. Now, he comes out, before he could ask any other question, he says, hey, 
Jesus, we all know that you are sent here by God. We've watched you. We've kind of seen your ministry. The miraculous signs that you are doing and performing, there is no way you're doing this on your own. So we, we, we got that point. Now, before he gets to his, he's setting the stage. He calls him rabbi, teacher. He respects him. Before he could ask his first question, out of nowhere, Jesus goes directly to the point of his need. He said, I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. I want to say that was awkward. if If you were told that, you're thinking, where did that even come from? Out of nowhere. Yes, you got to think. It sounds funny for us who have the Bible, the Old and the New Testament. We can read and connect the dots. These guys did not have the New Testament. They only had the Old Testament. But looking at the guy that Jesus was talking to, even adds more gravity to that question, to that statement that he made. Unequivocal, no doubt. He was straight and declared that. Nicodemus, they were, think about think about Donald Trump, okay, with the influence and the integrity of a Bill Graham. This guy had a social standing in the society. And he was also a very wealthy and successful man. So for Jesus to come right and say, hey, all those, those, these guys knew the Bible, the Old Testament, especially the Mosaic law, the Pharisee and the Son. These guys could recite punctuations in the scripture. And then Jesus just, bam, I got to tell you, before we start talking here, unless you're born again, you cannot see. You don't even have a part of the kingdom of God. In other words, he's telling Nicodemus, that you haven't even gotten to the point of infancy when it comes to the kingdom of God. You need to be reborn. And he looks at Jesus and thinks, man, what kind of statement is that? But somehow he understands in part what Jesus is trying to say. And he asks Jesus, you know, He says, you know, um, how can a grown man, how can a grown man who's already been born and is old, how can he re-enter his mother's womb and be born again? And so Jesus starts elaborating what this means. And uh, Nicodemus now, his plans change. He hasn't even gotten the time to squeeze in his four-point or three-point question. His life is completely turned around and he's thinking, okay, I know it's more than what you're saying here. In fact, he concludes later, he says it would be easier for a man to re-enter the mother's womb and be born again than what you're trying to do. Because he's thinking, Jesus is thinking broader. How can an old man with all experience, with mistakes and regrets and all sorts of things in life, life brings you a lot of stuff. How many would say, yeah. Maybe even this morning, it was just a struggle to get here and things have happened or still happening by text and Facebook, right? That's all right. 
How can that person become like an innocent baby? Now, we have a little baby at home, not right now, five weeks and three days old. And that baby is innocent. It's just a joy when you hold them. Uh, it's, a, it's amazing. But then she has a brother that's two. And even the two-year-old on the planet, two years, has accumulated a few things. Don't do that. You'll do exactly what you said not to do. Two-year experience. You haven't been around that long. But you kind of accumulate some stuff as you go. How many will relate to that? So it's talking about a little uh, old guy. You think about your life. And you're telling me. That an old man that has lived, that has done business, that have done interrupted with people, that has made some mistake, that if they could turn things around, they'll do it differently if they had to turn things over. You're telling me that that person can be like an innocent child. He goes, man, it'll be easier to actually go back to the mother's womb and be reborn than what Jesus is claiming here. The word there in, in, in the Greek word actually says regenerate. It's called regenerate, which kind of means new life. In fact, the Bible uses several terminologies to, to explain this experience, which uses being born again, being born from above, born anew, born in, in the spirit, regenerate, getting new life. Titus chapter 3 verse 5 actually says it this way. It's, it, it defines it well. It says, he saved us not because of the righteous things that we have done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. What's amazing to me is that people, even today, are still trying to achieve salvation, to achieve eternal life, relying on their social standings, their good needs, their biblical knowledge, Anything, good deeds, all sorts of things like that, which are not bad in life, but we think somehow or some way they might earn us salvation. I was talking to a man on the plane recently, and uh, we were flying together, and I asked him, hey, you know, I told this story once, but I, what struck me is what he said. I, I, you know, I, I asked him, you know, <laughs> if we were to die today, do you know where you're going? We're having terrible turbulence. And I'm thinking, geez, you know, Lord... Uh, you know, about my kids, get me home. You know, I pray, you know, and I fly, I've flown a lot and I've had tablets, but this was crazy. But I asked him, see, do you know where you're going? And the rationale about, he says, yeah, I think heaven. It's like we look at, I'm a good man, I'm a good person. Yeah, nobody's perfect, so I make mistakes just like anybody else. And that, that's true. There's not a single perfect person. But then we look at, man, if I keep doing the right thing, and my good things outweigh my bad when they are measured up I might be good to go Nicodemus was a good man in society he had done well helping people all the time and Jesus says you haven't even started friend you haven't even started Maybe you were baptized as a baby, you were confirmed, went through catechism, memorized scripture, a good person, helped people all the time. But the scripture is so emphatic about this subject that it's absolutely impossible with any amount of effort, skill, or goodness, if you would, for any man to enter the kingdom of God. There's only one access. 
And that is through the process of regeneration, the process of new life, the process of being born again. It's the spiritual counterpart of being born. And that is what Jesus was making it possible for us on those three days. Jesus wasn't laying down a body and just taking it up thinking, Pip, when the alarm rings, I'm getting out. I don't even hear my alarm. I set my alarm, three alarms. I'm like, goes off. No. Jesus went into the spiritual realm. And he was busy. Thankfully, it only took him three days. That's why it says he's a conqueror. He's the champion. He's a victor. He went in and conquered every demonic spirit that comes against us. He went and destroyed and annihilated every power of the enemy. He came in and brought the freedom. And when he showed up, his sleeves were rolled. It wasn't one of those, hey, with a nice suit and I'm holy. No, he went to battle. Because you and I have an enemy that wants to bring us down every single day. I love the song we sing that says, the blood that sees me through day by day. Because we have an enemy that comes and lies to you about your identity, about who you are, about your future. Maybe you failed a few times or whatever it might be. Because he wants to keep you for the end goal. And Jesus conquered the grave. He came in victorious and he came with keys. Because the job is done. It is finished. I am giving you keys to your freedom. You no longer have to be intimidated by the enemy. You no longer have to live a life of not uh, being sure of where you stand before God. If you put faith in Jesus Christ, if you believe in him, he can give you new life. In fact, it says that when you come to Christ, oh, that all, everything, all things are passed away and behold, everything becomes new. It gives us new life. So he continues with this conversation. Although Christ had explained himself a couple of times to Nicodemus, he was still perplexed by this audacious question, statement. And Jesus wasn't backing out. He wasn't trying to re-explain. He just let me try to clarify this for you. Verse 9, Jesus, in a way, as much as he was patient, he would have expected this teacher of the law to understand a few things. He says, how can you be a teacher in Israel? How can I be a lord, a master, a counselor in Israel, and yet not understand this? Because this was not new with Jesus. It had been prophesied through the Old Testament. It had been taught Prophets of the Old Testament had been foretold of these things. And even so, when he started describing the wind and the, and the way of the wind, he thought that perhaps he might make a connection. A couple of scriptures that I, maybe Jesus would have thought. Here's me thinking. In Ezekiel chapter 36 and 34, the, pro, the prophet Ezekiel uh, prophesies and starts speaking of the last days and what the work that Jesus will do and make it possible for human beings. He says, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart 
and I will put in you a new spirit. I will take you, I will take out of you that stony heart, that stubborn heart, and give you a tender, responsive heart towards God. It's a process of God taking even that hard heart that is so doubtful, so pessimistic, so um, trying to not believe anything that you can't put together logically. And he says, I will take that out of you, that stony heart. And I'll give you a heart that is tender and soft and responsive towards God. So that you can have a new, new life. You go on and he continues to prophesy Ezekiel. We move on to the next chapter 37. He says something really good here. God speaks to the prophet in verse 9 and 10. He says, and he said to me, speak a prophetic message to the winds. The same words that Jesus is using. And he was hoping that this guy would connect. Son of man, speak a prophetic message and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, oh, breathe from the four winds. Breathe into these dead bodies so that they may live again. They may find new life. These were lives that existed Lives that are dead and became like dried bones. And God is proving a point that you speak a prophetic message. And these dead bodies, they can regain new life. So I spoke the message, Ezekiel, and he, as he had commanded me. And breath came into the bodies. And they all came to life and stood like a great army. I tell you. What Jesus did on the cross is not just historic. We don't need to have an intellectual faith in God. That where we believe God intellectually, we understand, we accept the the historic validity of the story. But that new life can be a prophetic life that can be spoken into our lives. Things in your life that seem dead or have been dead. Dreams that have been shattered. Hope that has been lost. Things that seems impossible with man. You can prophesy the word of God and bring new life in your life today. We celebrate resurrection because it's powerful. It was powerful today just as it was 2,000 years ago. Relationships that seem they are hopeless. There is no way of reconciling. God can breathe new life into that situation. Kids that have been gone, God can bring new life. And that's what Jesus was doing for us. Many people continue to live under the bondage and the oppression of sin. Some even who understand and have been born again, but it gets to a point where maybe a disappointment, maybe a prayer that you thought, would come through or something didn't go the way you did and your, your heart becomes hardened. Where there was excitement and joy, there isn't. Just going through the motion. Know how to do the right things. Say the right words because you know it. But deep inside, there's heart and there's doubt and there's fear. God wants to speak, bring new life into those places as well. It's the joy of the Lord that will bring you strength. It's his spirit that will give you strength. That's why the psalmist said, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Because it can't be lost. And I believe that this morning as we celebrate the resurrection life, that that power of new life 
can be breathed, breathed upon every situation represented in this place. And that you could go out of this place with new life because of what Christ did on the cross and what he did in conquering the grave and fear and everything. Amen? One of the most um, uh, impactful Easter's that I ever had was back in the 90s. I think it was around 90s, 97, 98. I don't remember which year precisely. Uh, I was in Nairobi, Kenya, the place where I grew up, and on my way to church on Good Friday. And I, just coming out of, um, of, a, of a taxi cab, they call them matatus. You kind of pay a few change, and they take you from one place to another. You know, it's a public transportation system. But um, in the 90s, in Kenya, Kenya went through that decade of the 90s was one of the worst, actually it was the worst economic time, decade of our country. And um, what you read of the Great Depression, the stories and, uh, in the 20s here, is precisely what was happening during that decade. And um, I remember sometime in 1994, the inflation one day hit 100%, and everything changed. When you go to the store, gas used to be $3 a gallon yesterday, and today it's 6 bucks a gallon. Oh, no, like life changes dramatically. And so it was kind of an oppressive situation financially, and they did snap out of it. But um, people were very protective of what they had, the little they had. People, you know, if you defraud somebody, you're in trouble. And those, these things, are what they call like mob justice, started happening, especially in the poor and populated areas. If someone would actually steal something and caught stealing, it could be 10 bucks. All these people will flock in and start stoning the person. I'd heard about the mob justice. You know, you knew it was happening a lot. And you hear stories. But I'd never seen one myself. And I got out of this matatu with the taxis. And uh, just connecting, going to church. And it's a good Friday. And I see this crowd just running and chasing a guy. And they came like really close to where I was. With stones and rocks. And they started beating the guy up. It was so disturbing to watch it in front of you. He probably stole five bucks or something, but he was caught. And you can't come in and interject. You couldn't interject because maybe you're an accomplice. They'll turn on you. And how, I remember how helpless it felt. They said, geez, what did the guy steal? I'll, I'll pay you. Let the guy go, you know. I went, but it disturbed me for so long. It was so graphic. I was thinking, oh, my word. And as I'm going to church, I'm reflecting. The law said, this is what I did for you. Even though I was not guilty, I didn't do anything. I did that. This is, the, this, this is was a taste of what it was like when I went to the cross for you. It left such an impression in my heart. Never forgotten that. That Jesus Christ, who was perfectly innocent, who did not have to die, who could have actually called angels from heaven and God would have delivered him. They spied on him. They brutalized him. They called him names. And it was a slow, embarrassing, disturbing process before he winds up on that tree. He didn't have to do it. He had other options. But he stayed focused. The writer of Hebrews describes it this way. He says that he who knew no sin, he went to the cross. He despised the shame. He endured the cross because of the joy 
that was said before. The joy was the possibility of you, of me, of James, John, Mandy, whoever you are. The hope that you, through his suffering and his death, you can have new life. You can have eternal life. And he was focused and he stayed on his mission. This morning I want to tell you, Christ didn't pay the price for nothing. He paid the price for you. If you haven't received him as your personal savior, today is a great day to receive the new life. If you have known him, but you're just coasting, going through the motion, doing the religious thing, today you can have new life. He suffered and died, but not for nothing. And thankfully, he overcame even the suffering and the death so that we, in faith, putting our, attaching our faith in him, we can be partners with him in the new life. And he wants to bring new life into your life today. Amen? Let's stand up and pray.